0: I was listening to an interview recently with the musician Phil Kagey. Anybody know who Phil Kagey is? Phil Kagey is, we got a guitar player, so he knows, Phil Kagey is one of the great guitar players alive today. Uh, There is a well-known story, sort of legend that goes around where Johnny Carson was interviewing Jimi Hendrix. And asked Jimi Hendrix, what does it feel like to be the greatest guitar player alive? To which Jimi Hendrix replied, I don't know, ask Phil Kagey. Now, Phil Kagey himself admits that this story is fiction, but the fact that a story like that can spread so easily shows that there's a hint of believability to it. The point is, Phil Kagey is one of the great guitar players on the planet. And Phil Kage has spent a lifetime, a lifetime around the greatest musicians in the world. He's jammed with, he's toured with all of the legends. Uh, Paul McCartney's sister had him play at her wedding at Paul McCartney's uh, urging. Uh, Phil Kagey is one of the great guitar players and he has been around the great musicians of all time. But Phil Kagey is also a very committed follower of Jesus. And in the interview that I was listening to, Kage mentioned his faith and how important his faith is to him. And he talked about how throughout his entire career, while he was on the road and uh, the years, many of these musicians have been curious about his faith. And they say, you know, uh, like, Phil, what is it about your faith? And they've asked him about Jesus. And Kage said, he told the interviewer that he always replies the same way when someone asks him a question about Jesus. He says, I always tell people the same thing. If you want to know what God is really like, you've got to read the Gospel of John. Now, last week, we began a study on the Gospel of John so that we can know what Jesus is like. And the Gospel of John, if you're not familiar with sort of what the books of the Bible are, the Gospel of John is a biography of Jesus written by one of his closest friends, John the Apostle. But I tell the story about Phil Kagi, not just to make the point that the Gospel of John is important. But I make this point because I love to hear stories of people that aren't pastors and aren't missionaries or whatever talking about how they faithfully bear kids' witness to what God has done in their lives. I love hearing stories about people in all sorts of industries and vocations and jobs and professions when they talk about how they faithfully bear witness to who Jesus has been in their lives. And I know that many of you, as you are preparing to go see family this week, you have family members that perhaps they don't know Jesus and they don't have a relationship or an understanding or, or really even a comprehension of why the... Your faith means so much to you, and you're wondering and you're praying about how you can be faithful in sharing Jesus with your family. And I want to encourage you today, from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, that you can speak faithfully about who Jesus is in your life, because that is what God has called you to do, that's what He's equipped you to do, and that's what He's empowering you to do. So let's look at John, chapter 1, today. And we're going to read the passage we looked at last week, kind of as a lead-in. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's a beautiful poem, beautiful uh, prologue to the Gospel of John, speaking of Jesus. And here's our passage for today there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So here's what I love about this. In the first five verses of the gospel of John, you have this beautiful poetic description of Jesus, the word of God, Uh, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He's creating the world. He's sustaining the world. And He's bringing life and He's shining light into darkness. And you're like, man, that's poetic and that's beautiful. And then you get hit suddenly with this phrase, and there was a man named John. And this is not referring to the author of the gospel. This is referring to John the Baptist. And the poetry of the first five verses, this high theology of these first five verses is interrupted with the introduction of a man named John. Now, John, like today, was a very common name. It was one of the most common names. And so, beautiful description of the Word of God, all of this high theology, and then you have an introduction of a name so plain, so common so ordinary. No offense to the multiple Johns in here and watching online. But it could have just as easily read, and there was a man named Bob or Carlos or a woman named Jane or Patricia. It's an ordinary, average plane. And isn't that how most of us feel when it comes to our faith? We feel ordinary. Many of us think that because we feel ordinary, our lives don't have much of a real purpose, especially our spiritual lives, we think. We think that our place within the church and within the kingdom of God, we think that because we're ordinary, God's plan for our lives must also be ordinary. But this little mention here of John the Baptist shows us that even the most ordinary person, the most ordinary life has great purpose and great value in the kingdom of God. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John, whose name was Will, whose name was whatever. There was a man, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. This was the purpose of John the Baptist's life, and this is the purpose of your life if you're a follower of Jesus. Many people often ask the question, they say, I just want to know what God's purpose for my life is. Well, here it is. It's to bear witness about the light. The reason you have been placed in your family, the reason you have been placed in your apartment building, the reason you have been placed in your job, in your school, in this city at this time is to bear witness to the light of life. That is the sacred mission and the sacred purpose of your life. And you go, oh, that, that's too much. I, I can't do that. That's too much for me. I, ju- I want to remain ordinary. But I want to give you two encouragements from this passage that I hope will give you the courage and the strength to bear witness to who Jesus is in your life with your family and with your friends. And the first thing I want to encourage you with this afternoon is this. You are not the light. It's not about you. You say, oh, I can never speak about my faith because I'm too... It's not about you. You are not the light. Verse 8 says... John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So let's get one thing clear up front. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about him. You are not the light. And that's easy to say, isn't it? Oh, that's easy to say. But how much of the anxiety in our lives, especially this year, comes from believing that we have to be the light for other people? We believe it is up to us to save the people around us. And why do we do this? We do this because we care. But what we often do is we place other people's burdens on our shoulders, and we carry the weight that we were never meant to carry, and we take blame when other people reject the light of Jesus. We take the blame when people around us make destructive decisions, and that is too heavy a burden for any of us to carry. And I just want to encourage you today that you are not the light, and you are not the Savior. And the burden is not on you to change people, the burden is on you to simply point them to the one who can change them. And many of us, I think, we're also, we're afraid to talk about Jesus because we're not confident in that we know what, we, what to say. We feel ashamed because we feel like we can't shine the light properly, or we can't shine the light Well, enough. And here's what I mean. When I remember a young Christian man coming into my office once and he said, Pastor Will, listen, my dad is not a Christian, but I just know. I just know that if he could see Jesus for who he is, it would change my dad's life. And he looked at me and he asked me, he said, Will, Pastor Will, would you reach out to my dad? Here's my dad's phone number. Would you reach out to my dad and would you tell him about Christianity and would you tell him about Jesus? And I said, Man, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I said, because I don't know your dad. I said, and it would be weird if I just cold called your dad. And I was like, hey, let me tell you about the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've all had that happen. And we're like, ah, it's, it's a little uncomfortable. I said, I'm not going to do that. I said, why don't you tell him about what Jesus has done in your life? Be honest with him about how your faith has affected you. And he said to me, Will, you don't understand. My dad is crazy smart. He's studied philosophy. He knows all the objections to Christianity. He will outsmart me in a debate. I can't do it. Will, you've been to seminary, so I need you to talk to him. You can debate him. And I said, I'm not going to debate your dad. I said, but I know you can bear witness to what Jesus has done in your life. And listen, I know many of you, the reason you don't talk about your faith to your family, to your friends is because you think you don't know enough and you're afraid you're going to get outsmarted, you're afraid you're going to get in a situation where you feel weird or you feel inadequate or that you aren't smart enough. But you, but I'm just here to tell you this afternoon that you don't need to know every answer. You don't need to have a seminary degree or to be prepared to answer any and every objection that comes about. You simply need to be able to tell the story about who Jesus is and how that has affected you. You are not the light Okay, so it's not up to you to be the light. It's up to you to simply talk about the one who has lit up your life. I love the analogy that John uses. He uses that of a witness, kids. John came as a witness, verse seven, to bear witness about the light. So your job is not to be the light. Your job is to be a witness. Now, a witness is a great image for this because what does a witness do? A witness, a good witness, simply describes what he or she saw. So, anybody watch a lot of courtroom dramas? I'm a sucker for courtroom entertainment. It Doesn't matter if it's documentaries, it doesn't matter if it's TV shows or movies, whatever. I love courtroom entertainment. And there's, in any good, you know, uh, courtroom drama, there's always that moment in the movie where the defendant says, just put me on the stand, let me be a witness for myself. And what does the good lawyer always say? No, 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 <laughs> you can't do that. You can't get on the stand for yourself. Why? In fact, I was like, I, I was curious as to why this was because I was thinking if I'm on trial for my life, I want to be able to defend myself. But a good lawyer, I asked a lawyer friend one time, I said, why, why, is, it, why is it unwise to take the stand to, uh, for yourself? And he said, because the last thing you want in a courtroom is to have a witness who is trying to make things happen. He said, the worst thing in a courtroom is a creative witness. He said, the best witnesses are simply the ones who can describe and state the facts exactly as they saw them. And I think sometimes, Christians, we try way too hard to be creative witnesses. We try way too hard to make Jesus appealing to people when just Jesus is appealing. And we try to spin and make these PR moves to make Jesus cooler and greater or whatever when the truth is just the gospel of Jesus, Christ died, risen, and Christ coming again is all we need to shine the light on. You know, I remember one time reading about a big church in Texas that actually gave away raffle prizes To first-time guests at their Easter service. They gave away a car. They gave away iPads. And the story was that if a first-time guest would come to church, they would fill out the first-time guest form. And at the end of the service, they would have a big raffle and they would give out a car. And they would give out iPads and all sorts of other stuff. And And this church also had the lights and the lasers and the fog machines. And in this article where I read this, the church defended their strategy, and they said, we are just doing whatever we have to do to draw people to Jesus. And as I read that article, I just remember thinking, how sad. This church is doing far more than Jesus ever asked them to do. They are trying to be the light rather than pointing to the light. And listen, maybe I'm old-fashioned. You can call me old-fashioned if you want to. But I believe that the best church service a church can give to a community is simply one that talks about the Christ who came, who died, who rose again, and is coming again to rescue, redeem, and restore his people. We don't need fancy lights. We already have the light of the world. We are called to bear witness to him. We're not called to be creative witnesses to try to make him look in some the way that we want people to perceive him. We're simply called to lift up the scriptures and tell people truthfully what we know to be true about Jesus. And I believe that's enough. And some of you you say, "Well, I'm just so anxious." about the conversation, if I bring up faith to someone, that I'm gonna get in a situation where I don't know what to say. But in Luke chapter 12, Jesus himself tells us not to be anxious about that situation. He says, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You're not the light. You are a witness to the light. But you also have the Holy Spirit who will give you the words to say. Listen, you don't need all the knowledge and you don't need all the answers to make things happen. You just simply bear witness and state the facts of what Jesus has done for you. You are not the light. I hope that encourages you today as you go to see family members. It's not on you to make something happen. It's simply on you to be faithful, to to speak about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Now, the second thing I want you to see is that the light shines through you, not from you. I know many of you, one of the things that keeps you from really stepping into the calling that God has placed in your life, the calling to bear witness to Jesus, uh, to your family and your friends, the thing that keeps you from really stepping into that is that you are still living with the shame of your past or even current mistakes. You feel unworthy You're like, I'm not bringing up Jesus in a conversation because look at all the things I've done. Look at all the things I do. Look at all my current struggles. I am disqualified from speaking about Jesus. It would be hypocritical for the name of Jesus to even leave my lips because the people around me, they know who I am, they know what I've done. It would be hypocritical for me to even speak of Jesus. And we often feel broken and tattered and wounded, and we think that God can never use us because we are broken and wounded people. But look at what John says in verse 7. It says that John came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, recently we had Halloween I don't know if you made your pumpkins with your kids or whatever, but I heard one teacher make the point this week as I was studying that at Halloween, you can only see the light of a candle from inside a pumpkin in the places where that pumpkin has been cut and carved out. It's the cracks and the holes where the light shines through. And I think the same goes for you and for me. It is the places where we have been cracked and cut open where the light of Jesus shines not from us but through us. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of kintsugi art. Has anybody heard of this? It's a Japanese art form that takes broken objects, usually bowls and dishes, and then pieces them together using like puzzle pieces, using pure gold to fill the cracks and restore the object. And with kintsugi art, a broken object becomes significantly more valuable and attractive, not in spite of its cracks and its breaks, but actually because of them. The pure gold that fills the cracks not only restores the bowl, but makes it more beautiful and makes it more valuable. I looked on Etsy this week. I was like, I'd like to have a Kintsugi bowl. They're very expensive. And I'm like, I'd go to Pottery Barn and just break one myself, you know. But the same is true of your life. It is the broken places, the places that you are most ashamed of, where if you have been restored by Jesus, it is at those places where the story of Jesus shines most through you. Those are the places where your story of faith is much more beautiful and attractive to people around you because it is at the precise location of your greatest brokenness where the light of Jesus shines most brightly. Uh, You know, one of the, uh, the ministries that our church does that I don't think gets near enough attention and I think far more people should be involved in it, is our Celebrate Recovery ministry. Because our Celebrate Recovery ministry is a place where people with hurts, habits, hangups, addictions, whatever, come together and they're honest about what they're facing. And it's a place where nobody is allowed to pretend. You know what I mean? It's a place where you're not allowed to pretend. It's a place where you walk in and you expose and you share the broken and the cracked parts of your life. And then in celebrate recovery, the whole purpose of this meeting is for then after you've shared the broken and the cracked and the wounded parts of your soul, then the people around you will speak the hope and the truth of Jesus into those broken places. And slowly as you're in the community of the people of God, you become put back together and the light of Jesus begins to mend and mold and heal those broken places and then the light of Christ then shines through your brokenness. And and you become a witness to Jesus, not because you're awesome or because you lived a great life, but simply because Jesus has been faithful to you, even in your shame and in your pain and in your failures. And when we have, if you've been around our church for a little while, you've been to a Sunday where we've had Celebrate Recovery testimonies where someone gets up and they share their story. And the way Celebrate Recovery encourages our, our people to write out their stories is to Be honest. And to not gloss over their sin and their past and their mistakes, but they simply say, this is who I was, warts and all. And usually, like, as they're sharing the story, before they get to the Jesus part, everybody's like, what, they're talking about that out loud in church? I could never do that. But then the story turns and they say, but let me tell you how Jesus has filled those cracks and Jesus has made me whole and is making me whole and is putting me on a path to recovery. And by the time that story is over, you're no longer shocked and your jaw's not on the floor about what somebody sitting next to you has done in their life, but your hands are raised and your eyes are lifted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who has transformed the life of another human being, not because they're great, but because Jesus is faithful. You see, a healthy church and a healthy Christian and a healthy witness is not someone who has it all together and can say, look at me. But a healthy Christian and a healthy church is a place where broken people can expose their warts, their cracks, and their wounds and speak truthfully of the one who is healing them. So how do you bear witness to Jesus in 2020? listen, nobody's had a good year. Nobody's had a good year this year. <laughs> That's the truth. And so here's what it means to bear witness to Jesus in 2020. It means that you don't put on the happy face and fake around this year. And you don't filter your pain from other people. It means that you, if you are hurt and if you are wounded and broken or struggling, get around the people of God and speak of it. And let other people who know Jesus speak the truth of the gospel into the broken places of your life. And then let the, as, as the grace of Jesus fills those cracks, let him shine through you. Listen, nobody has it all together this year. Anybody who looks like they do is lying to you. But there are people who have Jesus who is holding us together. And it is Jesus that holds us. That is the real story. It's not, wow, how, does that, how is that person making it through? It's, wow, look at how Jesus is sustaining that person through this year. And that's what we bear witness to. Not that we're holding ourselves together, but that Jesus is holding us together. You are not the light. That means that the light does not have to shine from you, but you can allow it to shine through you. Jesus is the light. And the places where he shines through, that is where people see Jesus for who he is. It's okay that you're not the light. That actually makes your story much more beautiful because you're not shiny enough to shine the light into all the darkness of everyone's life. But Jesus is. And so we're not called to make things happen. We're simply called to bear witness to the one who has. And the way he has made things happen, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas, is that in our darkness, a light shined. And that in our darkness and in our sin, and in our rebellion, Jesus, God himself, looked down on us, and he could not stand to see us walking in darkness. So he put on human form. He came down into our lives. and He lived the life we could never live, and he died the death that we deserved. And three days later, he rose from the grave. He defeated sin, sickness, Satan, shame, and death itself. And he has offered an invitation for you and for me. And he says that your shame no longer has a hold over you. Death no longer has a hold over you. Because I have come and because I have borne your burden, I now offer you my life. And that means that there's a lot of people in this room and watching online that we've got some pretty messed up stories in our lives. But the real story is that Jesus has came and put us back together, given us new life, given us something to speak about, something to sing about. And we're here not because we've done all the right things. We're actually here because we've made a lot of mistakes along the way. But Jesus has been there every step along the way. And he's He's given us life and hope and he's given us second chances and forgiveness and joy in the midst of our sin and in the midst of our sorrow. That's the story. And we are called to bear witness to that. So let's pray. Father, thank you for these people. God, thank you for the privilege that I have to pastor a group of people in this city at this time in history. It's been a hard year. But God, you have been faithful to your people and God, you have used your people, you've used this church to bless and benefit a lot of lives during this pandemic, mine included. And God, none of that is possible without the truth that you have made us new, pe- new creations. And God, I'm so thankful for what you have done in the lives of so many of these people that has given them the strength and the hope to be generous, to be kind, to be compassionate in the midst of a really difficult year. And so God, as we take communion in just a moment, we do this as an act of reminding us, reminding ourselves what you've done for us. And as we take the communion, we receive what you've done for us, God. And then we take that out into the world and we shine a light on who you are. We bear witness to what you've done. And it's in your name we pray, amen.